morning. My name is Adam. I'm the leader here. I'm so pleased that you have joined us this morning. We still find ourselves meeting in this way where some of us are watching on our phones on our own and some are gathering with friends and neighbors. Uh, and wherever you are and however you are watching, we're so glad that you're here. We do want to give some opportunity to connect in person where we can. We recognize the guidelines and the safety requirements, and we absolutely want to adhere to them. But we do want to provide some opportunities where we can connect. And we've got two ideas, two events happening this week, which we're calling Let's Connect. The first one is on Thursday evening. During the last four or five months, we've been having a weekly worship evening on a Thursday from 7.30 to 8. This week, we're going to take it outside in the backyard, the back garden space of this facility, Tory Street. And there's space for about 20 people. We want you, if you can come, to come. If you are able to to attend, to, uh, to meet. We're going to adhere to all the guidelines. We're going to wear masks, spatial distancing, six foot and so forth. But we're going to gather and we're going to worship. If you would like to and you are available, please join us this Thursday evening for kind of Let's Connect worship event. You need to book on because there's limited spaces and there's a link that we're using Eventbrite for, which I believe is going to be posted in the comments if you're watching on Facebook now. If you aren't watching on Facebook, if you're watching on the website, if you email us, office at sscma.com, we'll send you the registration details. So that's this Thursday evening. Let's connect. Let's worship together. And then next Sunday evening, a family event for children, young people, families. We want to do a Let's Connect family, and it's going to be an ice cream party. It's going to be two sessions, six till seven, and then 7.30 till 8.30. It's going to be fun. We're going to have some activities and some ice creams and other elements that will be really good. Please come along if you've got children and come with them. Don't just book them on. Come along too. Again, we're going to be spaced out. We're going to have the seating and everything in good order. Again, we need you to book. There's an Eventbrite page for this event. Again, on the Facebook posts, probably, is it here or, or here? I'm pointing down and on the screen, this might work. Uh, but again, if you're not watching on Facebook, email us, office at sscma.com. We would love to see you. We would love to connect in whatever means we can at this time. Before we get into the message, I want to tell you, I am feeling optimistic. I am feeling hopeful. If I make that comment and you immediately want to ask why, the answer in some ways is you and in some ways is God. I'm optimistic because of what I'm currently seeing in people. And I'm optimistic because of what I'm seeing and what I'm believing in God. In people at the moment, there are many families I know navigating decisions around schools. And the way that they're doing that, the way they're praying, the way they're caring, the way they're not just caring for their own family, but their larger community is inspiring to see. I'm continually inspired by the people I know who work and serve in the medical profession, who during this pandemic have put themselves on the line to care for others. And I am encouraged by God's grace and provision and that Personally, I don't know any of those people who work in that field who thus far have been sick with COVID. I'm grateful to God for that. 
I know that there's some people who may be watching who have and are suffering ill health. I know some people personally. And the way they're carrying themselves, the way they're caring for others at the same time that they're suffering themselves is inspiring. I know some people who are suffering from mental health. And this is very real for all of us in life at times. I spoke to someone only this week. And the way they were sitting in a posture of rest, peace, and believing that God is with them even in tough times is inspiring. And as we find ourselves with uncertain days and an uncertain future, we have hope that is beyond what we see on the news. We have hope in God. In the middle of the Old Testament, these wisdom books, there's a book called Psalms. And in Psalm 39, it says this, And now my hope is in the Lord. I love the end, but I also love those first two words. And now. Not just when things change, when they come good, when this passes, but now, in this moment, in this breath, in this day, and now my hope is in the Lord. So may I encourage you, and now, to put your hope in the Lord. We're going to continue our a series, our teaching series, we've been looking through this book of Acts, which is the story of the early church, the story of the new church. I've described it as a story where they're forming and reforming and shaping and reshaping, which feels so fitting of 2020, where what we were doing, we can't do. What we're doing this month is different to what we did last month, and next month it might be different again. There is a forming and reforming. But the focus is we want to be centered around the good news and the story of Jesus. We're going to continue to look today at the story in Acts 9, which is a story that I've described as, I didn't see that coming. That sentence, I didn't see that coming, kind of sums up this year. I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming. Often we say that and it sounds quite negative. Oh no, I didn't see that coming. I want to encourage you that that sentence also works for good. There are times when God breaks in, brings change and transformation in such a positive way, everyone looks on and says, wow, I didn't see that coming. And that is the story that we're going to look at today in Acts 9. I'm going to introduce our reader. It's Bill. He's going to read Acts 9 to us. It's going to appear on the screen now. Thanks, Bill. Take it away. Good morning. This is Bill Antonucci, and this morning I'll be reading to you from Acts 9, Saul's conversion. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city, 
and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul in Damascus and Jerusalem. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that they really, that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told him how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem. Speaking boldly in the name of the Lord, he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Aeneas and Dorcas. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Leda, 
There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there, were, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed in place in an upstairs room. Lydda, it was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got on his knees and prayed. Turn toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. And that's the end of this morning's reading. Thank you. Welcome back. This is a story that really sums up, I didn't see that coming. At the end, you've got this incredible miracle, Peter. But largely, this passage tells the story of somebody called Saul, who we later know, for those of us who have read on in the New Testament, in the Bible, as Paul. This week, I watched the news. And as is a very frequent occasion on the news, there's times we hear stories of people doing incredibly horrible crimes and you find yourself sitting there thinking how does anybody do that why does anybody do that it's not easy watching at times sometimes when we hear stories of crimes and offenses we can conclude that that person is beyond reach that person is a lost cause that person is full of nothing but evil and based on the news story, uh, it's easy to come to those conclusions. Incredibly, and this is to our surprise, to my surprise, incredibly, God doesn't see anybody as a lost cause. God doesn't see any offenses beyond the reach of forgiveness. The person saw, we met a few chapters early in the book of Acts, and he is someone who is full of such hatred that he personally wants to pursue people, entrap them, persecute them, and most recently, in a previous chapter, witness somebody's stoning and stand there and watch. This is someone who many of us would see as beyond reach, a lost cause, but God doesn't see them like that. God doesn't see this person like that. And that encourages me because for me and for you, it means we are not lost causes. You are not a lost cause. It doesn't matter what you've done. You are not beyond God's reach of forgiveness and grace. So Saul, as he is known, hates God 
hates his followers, is full of evil, doesn't mind people being killed, and he's on his way to continue on that trend. And there's this incredible moment where he meets Jesus, where there's this blinding light experience that stops him in his tracks, and he asks a great question, who are you, Lord? That's what we read in the text, that's what we've just heard read from Bill. In my mind, what it actually probably sounds like is, who are you, Lord? Who are you? It's this incredible moment of change, a blinding light experience. That's the moment, that's the beginning of Paul's salvation, being saved, being changed from who he was to who he's going to be. Now, for many of us, for those of us who would call ourselves followers of Jesus, many of us haven't had a blinding light Damascus Road experience. Many of us would like to have had, but the fact remains that most of us haven't. I want to encourage you, if you haven't had that kind of experience, that's okay. Most of us haven't. There can be a tendency where we long for an experience almost too much. We chase after experiences. There were times when people said to Jesus, show us a miracle, show us another miracle, show us a sign. They kept asking for an experience. Jesus knew that ultimately this was a shallow request. And it doesn't matter what experience they have today, they're gonna, it's going to fade and they're going to ask for another one tomorrow. For many of us, we don't have that experience. The well-known revivalist of the last century, John Wesley, was somebody who had a fairly normal experience of meeting Jesus. He was unconvinced. He was uncertain. He had questions like many of us. And there was a moment where he was attending some gathering with a few other people who believed and they were singing a song. And there was a moment where he wrote in his journal describing this occurrence. And he said that his heart was strangely warmed. And as he prayed, he recognized that that was the good grace, forgiveness of Jesus. And he described it so subtly as his heart was strangely warmed. Now, for John Wesley, it wasn't a blinding light Damascus experience like Saul had. And for many of us, our experience may be more fitting of John Wesley's. His heart was strangely warmed. That was the moment of change. That was the moment of salvation. That was the moment where in John Wesley's history, everything changed. We may not all have the experience that Saul had, but we all can have and must ultimately have a moment where we say, Jesus, come and strangely warm my heart in a way that only you can. I made the comment a few moments ago, you are not a lost cause and you are not beyond God's reach. We see that in the story of Saul. Within the last few weeks, I've had some interesting conversations with people who would identify themselves not as Jesus followers and not as people who attend church. One of them said to me, and he said it to me in a comical way. He said, Adam, if I attended a church service, I would burst into flames the minute I walked over the threshold of the door into the building. And I laughed and he laughed. It was funny. But at the same time, there was a sense of recognition that this person knows that they've done wrong. And ultimately, they know that, that they've got to do something about that. 
I'm okay with that conversation because when we know we've messed up, when we know we've fallen short, that's the beginning of change. It's the beginning of recognizing that we need God. The error that sometimes people make is the assumption that they've made no mistakes, no offenses, and they don't have anything in life they need to put right. That's a greater problem. Somebody else I had breakfast with, and this person said to me, do you think God could forgive me? They were reminded of their mistakes, their sins, their frequent occasions where they wish they hadn't acted in the way that they had. And this person looked at their shoes, feeling pretty bad for themselves, feeling pretty guilty, and said, do you think God could forgive me? Of which the answer, as we see displayed in the story of Saul, is yes, you are not a lost cause. This phrase, I didn't see that coming, continues to be fitting for many of us. So when we recognize, when we have that moment of change, like I say, sometimes it's blatant, often it's subtle. There is a moment where we are saved and we are changed. The Bible calls this salvation. We're changed. It's a personal prayer. Like John Wesley, it's a, something inside of us. We're strangely warmed. We're changed. But it changes us on the outside. The power of salvation changed Saul's life internally and therefore changed him externally. The way he lived was forever different. Recently, we've been doing some improvements for the facility here at Tory Street. We want to hold these Let's Connect events. We want to gather. We want to use this space as best as we can. I borrowed somebody's pressure washer and I volunteered to do some pressure washing, which is a strangely satisfying job. It's one of these jobs where I quite like it because you can see where you've been. It was dirty. You did some work. It's not dirty anymore. Now, in the process of pressure washing, I got pretty dirty. The house was, there was some mold and there was some stains and there was some dirt and there was some paint that was kind of old and the pressure washing is knocking the chipped paint off. And I didn't notice that as I was cleaning the outside of the building, everything was splashing back on me. It was hot. It was 90 degrees. I was sweaty already. And then I'm getting the spray and the mold and the mud and the cracked old paint. And I wore it and I was covered. I went home and I had a shower and I changed my clothes. This sounds really obvious. This is why I'm using this illustration. When we meet Jesus, when our hearts are strangely warmed, we don't go back and put the clothes on that we were wearing, the stains, the dirt. I didn't do that. When I got out of the shower after pressure washing, and I didn't put the clothes back on I was wearing. I was changed. I was a different person. The story of salvation changes us inside, and it changes us on the outside. And the story of Saul, who changed his name to Paul, that in itself being an outward expression of change, is a story of transformation where we are being changed and we don't go back to putting the clothes on that we were wearing. We are different people. We can't be like the way we were. What has happened inside us must be reflected in the way our lives are displayed outside of us. Salvation changes everything. I want to make the comment, I want to make this clear to you. 
Salvation isn't something that we do, isn't something that we earn, isn't because we're good or we attend church more than someone else. Salvation is a free gift given by God, made possible only by Jesus. Paul later wrote, but when God was pleased to reveal his son to me, he recognized this person who began as Saul, who changed and became Paul. He recognized that the gift of salvation was a gift by Jesus, revealed by God. And interestingly, as we see in Acts 9, it wasn't sudden. It happened over the course of a few days. He can't see and then his sight is restored there was a moment when he met Jesus. There was a moment when his sight was restored. And if you read on this character, this remarkable person, Paul, he writes that salvation is something that he continues to work out. He says that for some people it makes sense, but for some people it's foolishness. But for those whom it makes sense, we are working out our salvation. The story of salvation isn't just a past occurrence where there's this date and we did something and now we tick the form and fill the box in differently yes there is a moment where we were saved but at the same time there is this mystery that in the present sense we are still being saved and ultimately when this life ends when we take our last breath we will be saved there is a past present and a future we were saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. We are working out our salvation. I love Paul's question in this passage. Who are you, Lord? What a great question. I've still not fully answered every aspect and detail that, that is to knowing God. I'm still learning more about God. I'm still finding new things. The question that Paul asked, who are you, Lord, isn't a question that we ask just at the point where we meet Jesus for the first time, but it's a question we continue to ask. Who are you, Lord? What are you doing today? How can I be in tune with what you're doing? Who are you, Lord? Reveal yourself to me afresh. May I encourage you to continue to ask the question, who are you, Lord, in this moment, in this day, in this occasion? In the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament, this theme, this story of salvation is expanded in a different way. Ultimately, salvation is made possible by Jesus. But the story of salvation and the theme of salvation rings through as something that is part of God's heart through all of Scripture. In the Old Testament, in the book of Nehemiah, we read this. In their time of trouble, they cried to you, and you heard them from heaven, and your great mercy, and you sent liberators, and you rescued the people. In the Old Testament, the, the theme of salvation is often represented with words like to be delivered, to be freed, to be liberated, and where there is tension for and war and conflict for God to bring peace because salvation changes everything. Also in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, we read, always remember that you were slaves, you were oppressed, you were restricted and confined, but God heard them from heaven. And he redeemed them. 
He redeemed you. This idea of salvation is bigger than just an individual idea that it's something that happens inside of me. But the theme and the heart of salvation, that's God's heart, is that it will affect all of society, all communities, all cultures, all people groups with these themes of deliverance and liberation and peace for all. It's bigger than just something that happens inside of us. As I said, it happens inside of us and it changes the world around us. It must do that. Salvation cannot be so individualistic that we just contain it for ourselves. It must change society because salvation does that. God says this of salvation. If you study the theme of salvation for all of Scripture, God says things like this. I will deliver you. I will redeem you, which means pay the price. I will rescue you. And I am here to save you. It is both personal and yet it is bigger. It is for all community. I want to make this comment and I want to make this clear. It feels fitting in light of recent news events, but it feels actually more fitting for all of humanity and all of history. When people are trapped in negative structures, when there are people groups, cultural groups, and they're trapped in negative structures where some enjoy little while others enjoy much, God wants to redeem and bring change. The story of salvation is one of redemption and change. Where one person suffers, is lifted up, is redeemed, is cared for. That's the heart and the story of salvation. When there is violence and when there are weapons of war, it is God's heart and the story of salvation to bring peace, not violence and not sustaining conflict. When there is greed, when there is strife, where there is envy, God wants to bring salvation. And the story of salvation, which is both personal, but yet bigger than ourselves, brings about the light of the world that changes all of society. And no people group are exempt from that. Jesus taught about the rule and reign of of God, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God is in this is the way it is meant to be. This is the way the world is meant to be orientated. And salvation brings about that change where we move from darkness to light. And sometimes we find ourselves saying, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming. It's meant to have that effect. It's meant to change us. Like the pressure washer story, we can't go back. It's meant to change us. Because ultimately, all people are made in God's image. No one, as displayed in the story of Saul, is beyond God's reach. You are not beyond God's reach. We, we are his treasure. We are his people. And it's personal and it's bigger than ourselves. We become part of the people of God. The New Testament writers talk about the bride, like we're being married to Jesus. We are the bride, the people group of Jesus. We are his children. 
And the message of salvation is one that we continue to work out. And it is available for you. It is available for me. It is available for all. And for many of us, there's times when that takes us by surprise. I want to pray. Before I pray, before you switch off, before you leave, before you go to the beach or wherever you're going today, I want to encourage you just to pause for a moment. For some, there are these blinding light moments where we go from my life was like this and now it's like this. But for many of us, there's a simple prayer where we say, Jesus, come and change me. Come and forgive me. And as the John Wesley analogy goes, Lord, strangely warm my heart again. If you've never prayed that Jesus would change you, would fill you, would strangely warm your heart again, may I encourage you in this moment just quietly to pray, Jesus, change me. Jesus, fill me. Jesus, forgive me. This isn't just an event that we, a moment or a prayer that we prayed historically and it's done. Yes, for needs to happen. There needs to be a moment where we know that we've prayed, Jesus, change us. But there are continued moments where we say, Jesus, change me again. Teach me your ways again. Lord, who are you? May I encourage you during these uncertain times to put your hope in God where we can have complete certainty that salvation changes us and changes the world around us. That's what we need. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining with us. If you've got questions, if you've got comments, if you'd like someone to pray with you, if there's something that I've said today that's triggered something in you and you want to talk more, email us, office at sscma.com. I'll try and reply to you this week. We're working this out. God is good. And now we have hope in him. Have a great week. And we would love to see you soon, whether that's in person at a Let's Connect event or online. Thanks for joining us today.